If you are just getting started with the NGSS and 3D teaching, I want to invite you to check out Bring Wonder Back, an on-demand video series designed to help you understand why moving through the textbook and teaching topics is actually crushing your students' curiosity and what you can do instead. It's going to help you shift the work of learning where it belongs by building your understanding of explorations and discovery-based teaching practices. And finally, I'm going to help you take the first steps toward transforming your students into scientists through 3D learning, which is really what the NGS is all about. You can access this video series at iExploreScience/wonder and get ready to bring wonder engagement and a love for learning back to your science class. All right, to the show. Welcome to the Teaching Science in 3D podcast. My name is Nicole Van Tassel. And I'm Erin Sadler. And we are two science teachers dedicated to helping you cut through the confusion and meet the intent of the NGSS so you can master all three dimensions. The NGSS can seem totally overwhelming, but implementing these standards doesn't need to be. Hey guys, welcome back to the Teaching Science in 3D podcast. This is our season three, so that's super exciting. Um, I know it was a really crazy spring and summer, and now we're kind of going into a crazy fall, but we're super excited to be back and learning and talking about the NGSS with you and helping you bring all that 3D instruction back into your classroom. So this is our first recording of our first episode for season three, so Anyway, Erin, what have you been up to, like, all spring, summer, your life in general? (laughs) Like, dealing with all of the craziness and trying to plan for, like, anything that could potentially happen for this school year, because I I don't know about, like, every, it seems like everybody has been in a position where it's like, oh, we're going to do this. No, just kidding, we're going to do this. And so it's just been like, um, I feel like I haven't had summer at all because it's just been shifting expectations over and over again. And it's like, okay, well now we have to shift here. And yeah, so it's just been crazy. I know. I, I totally, I, so I'm not in the classroom anymore. So I'm not having that anxiety of like, what are we doing? What are we not doing? But just in working with all of the teachers and I explore Academy, I mean, this summer we focused so much on virtual learning and online learning and hybrids because I mean the reality is that probably at some point there's going to be some version of online or hybrid or at least some group of your students doing online or I mean even if you're in the classroom but you can't talk to each other or do group work well maybe you could at least do some online collaboration you know so we've been talking about that all summer basically it feels like um but it's still just been such a weird summer and weird with so my, what I've been, I mean, we've had our summer and, and thankfully my childcare situation is mostly, you know, family. So that hasn't been hugely impacted, but now looking into the fall, normally my kids do go to preschool and now we're, we're not doing preschool this year. So that's yeah. kind of throwing a little wrench in, into what our normal, I don't know, what our fall's going to look like and what, mm-hmm. what do I do with a, a or, you know, on a five-year-old, she's pre-K to get her ready for kindergarten. And so anyway, those are my, my new adventures as a diving into elementary education. <laughs> I don't yeah, know. We, we finally figured out that we're going back digital um, full-time, at least for the first quarter. So through October, but now we're trying to figure out like bandwidth because we're basically, the kids are going to be like at, in school, you know, like we're going to be 
doing Zoom meetings live for most of the day. So how are we going to deal with like three people? My husband's still working from home a lot, like doing, you know, like meets, like Google oh, meets gosh. or meetings all day long. So <laughs> we'll see. Oh my goodness. Yeah, it is yeah. so many unanswered questions. And then I have questions about, so some art districts in my area, most of them are going back some form of hybrid or most of the districts have like an online option for parents that want that, but some version of in-school as well. But like what happens when someone gets sick? Like there's just so many unanswered questions. And I mean, that's a whole, we could do a whole episode of just making guesses, but we should probably not do that. Let's, let's get to our actual topic today, which is for those of you who have to move to online learning or some version of online, basically how do we NGSS online? So that's what we're talking about today. If you are doing any type of online learning, how do we bring the NGSS to this online virtual learning space? Yep, and we have gotten so many questions. We, you know, we've been taking questions in through um, the new website and all of that, and most of them are like, how do you do this online? Yes, I've seen that inside like the NGSS for middle uh, middle and high school science teacher space. So mm -hmm. so many of the posts are, how do I do labs online? How do I do exploration online? Mm -hmm. um, which I, I'm excited that teachers are asking those questions because I feel like there is the risk of just falling back to, and I feel like administrators think this is how we teach based on how they're setting this stuff up. Like right. they're like, oh, just go Zoom for 60 minutes and that's your class period. And right. they're like, okay, well, I'm just going to talk at them for 60 minutes. That's not how, that's not how class works. That's not how learning right. works. Um, right. Or sit in a class and be socially dist. And again, I'm not saying that these are easy solutions or we have solutions and these are super legit problems because, you know, but like have your students sit six feet apart from each other, the entire class and don't move and don't share supplies and don't talk to each other and still teach them. Right. <laughs> so... Yeah, I, I, I'm not sure Administ I don't know, I'm not sure the people who are making these decisions fully understand, like, that's not how people learn. <laughs> right, yeah. I think that um, there's a big expectation that we're just doing direct instruction the whole time, and so we'll just, you know, like. <laughs> Which is not, so I am glad that you're asking these questions, because it's showing that they're not just falling back into, um, you know, those more traditional methods, like honestly, how I learned science most of my middle and high school, which was the teacher standing at the front and lecturing and giving us notes and us reading the textbook and whatever, and then having your lab day, you know, but, um, but so it's good that they're asking these questions. It's a good sign, but it doesn't help when you don't, they don't have the answers to those questions. <laughs> So what are some things that we can do in order to, to NGSS online? Like what are some ways that we can still keep kids doing NGSS while they're online? So, so I think one of the most important things that we can continue to do is bring in phenomena um, because really now more than ever, we really need to work to engage our students and in the classroom we can to an extent, be like, you're doing this because you're sitting here for the next hour and there's nothing else to do and you have to do it. When your students are sitting by themselves at home, like, you're not over their shoulders. So how are you going to get them to work? You know, you have to at, have that engagement and that kind of intrinsic motivation to actually work. And I mean, there's other levels to engaging. And I mean, I've talked about a lot of them 
we've talked about a lot of them in, in other episodes and all of that. I think relationships is a huge one, but relevancy and like bringing real world, authentic, you know, phenomena into your classroom, I think is, is one of the ways that we do that. So we, we really need to make sure we're continuing to bring in that really engaging, relevant phenomena into our lessons. Absolutely. Because we don't know, I mean, like we can't even get kids to attend. Like that was one of the major problems that we had in the spring was like, kids didn't really have to show up. There was nobody making them be there. So they have to want to be there or they're, we're not going to get anything out of them. And then we have the added issue of, we don't even have like a already pre-established relationship with them to build on. We have to build those relationships from scratch. So we have to have a really big like reason for them to be there. That is true. And I think the teachers who were most successful in getting their kids to show up in the spring when it wasn't like required or, you know, there was all the wishy-washiness on whether it was mandatory or not. Um, those were the ones who, who had the good relationships with students where the students really just wanted to, to come see their class and come check in and see their teacher. Um, and I, I think, yeah, in the fall, when it's a brand new group of students, that's why building those relationships quickly is going to be important. Um, but adding that layer of like, why you're doing this practice activity, why you're doing this exploration and having that, it really comes down to the phenomena you've chosen. Does it pique their interest? Does it, um, yeah, like just, does, does it get them interested and does it show them how the content is really important to know and really important to understand? Yeah. And really important to them. Cause I like, there's so many phenomena out there, especially if you are, um, if you've purchased curriculum in the last year where it's like, just kind of, you know, it's a phenomenon and it works with your storyline, you know, everything's fine, but you know, like, uh, I always think about the peppered moth. Like my students do not care about the peppered moth. It's really cool. I care about it, but my students could care less. So it's, you know, it has to be engaging for them. Yes, that is, that's such a good point because yeah, there is not a good, like a phenomenon might work for all of your content objectives, but it just might not work for your students. And in that case, it's not the right phenomenon for you. It might work for a different group, but it's just not going to be right for you. So really tuning into your students and figuring out what's going to engage them and pique their interest is definitely part of choosing that phenomenon and bringing that into your, your, your classes for sure. Um, Okay, so beyond phenomena, what do you think, what other things can we do to make sure that we are still teaching that like NGSS style, um, but online? Um, I think that we really need to be cognizant about using that discovery-based approach. One of the things that I noticed with my students in the spring was that they wanted to find out the answer. So they kept coming back for the answer, like, their answer for them. So they kept like, what's going to happen next? Why is this happening? And they kept coming back because they wanted to figure out what was going on. Yes. I totally, it's again, adding that, like, why are we doing this? Like it's engaging to just like figure it out yourself. And it's, it's kind of like a little, um, like a boost of confidence and a boost of, um, like a win, you know, like mm -hmm. I finished the puzzle and I, I figured it out. Okay. So now I have a new question and, and getting that next puzzle or even like a, like a game, you know, you get to the next level and you're excited to keep going. So I feel like, um, kind of that discovery based approach uses, it kind of almost uses that little probably hits of, I don't know, whatever, whatever hormones make you happy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> well, and then I think that 
like one of the things that I see teachers really struggling with is incorporating those science and engineering practices that we're kind of like falling back into our old ways where students just read something or, you know, they're given information and then they just have to, you know, do something with that information. So we really need to be using those science and engineering practices in order to use that discovery based approach. Yeah, because that it really forces you if you are committing to a discovery based approach you are pretty much forced to use a science and engineering practice to get students there. So it builds the skills. And I think that is also like a good, like beyond as a vehicle to get to the content. We obviously, we want our students to master these skills, you know, just understanding content is not, is not um, like going to prepare them for the 21st century and for the demands and roles. And, you know, they need to be able to like think critically and analyze data and um, test their ideas and do all of these things in a very methodical, you know, scientific kind of approach kind of way. So we want to build the skills even aside from the content and yeah, using that discovery based approach for sure um, really like, forces you to, cons to to do that, you know, because everybody, like you said, it's kind of easy to fall back into, I, I needed my students to know this, so I'm going to give them a reading. Right. And sometimes, I mean, sometimes we all just have days where you just have to do that. <laughs> right. But, um, but if you're just kind of dedicated, like I am going to use this discovery-based approach, it really makes you think about, well, how can I get my students to discover it? Oh, I can use analyzing data or I can have them build a model to test this idea or whatever it is. Also, I mean, we all are gonna have a limited amount of time with our students. So we need to think about using best practices in order to build long-term retention because you know, we're not gonna be able to like go over things over and over again. We really need to be using our time effectively. And we know that using those science and engineering practices and that discovery-based approach really is great for long-term retention and understanding of the material. Yes. So I, this summer I would did, I, I was reading some books and did a bunch of research, did some like workshops inside the academy all about um, like the brain science behind a lot of these things, behind relationships and like relevance and, you know, that ties to the phenomena and, um, and the really like, good, the growing your brain part. And literally when students are figuring it out, when they're going through that struggle, I mean, we've all probably heard of growth mindset and how your brain can, it's plastic and it can grow and it can improve and you can get better at these skills. But if you don't do those skills, like on the flip side, you know, your brain doesn't have those abilities. So when we're having our students engage in those struggles, they're literally growing their brain. Whereas when you're just giving them the information and they're just trying to memorize it and it really, it lasts for like, a day maybe if we're lucky right. and then it's gone their brain's not actually growing so right. I mean really if, if your students can walk away with anything this year because it's going to be a, a crazy year and the one thing I I think that we all need to remember like for teachers who are thinking how am I supposed to cover all of the same content when you know my schedule is so crazy or how am I supposed to um you know, yeah, do all of this, but I don't see the kids as much. Or I can't do these same labs or whatever. Like, we're going to be so behind. Okay, but the entire world is behind, like, or at least the entire United States. Um, maybe maybe the rest of the world is kind of going to react together a little bit more. I don't know. But at least, I mean, pretty much everybody here is in the same boat. And these are kind of arbitrary, like, behind and forward deadlines that we put. So if, you know, for this year, if you can at least – 
have your students still walk away loving science because you use that discovery and because you showed them why it was relevant with phenomena. And if you can grow their brains by engaging them in the practices and help them develop more critical thinking skills and their ability to like view the world through this like scientific worldview, I mean, that's like a win, right? Even if you didn't cover every single piece of content in your curriculum, the whole world is a little crazy right now. <laughs> I, I would say that's like a win. If you can kind of love for science and some general critical thinking skills and scientific um, practices and, and then growing students' brains, then hey, at least you kept them on track for, for learning and, and moving forward in their you know, academic careers. At least that's my, my point of view here. I'm not going to I don't know. Well, and I think like it, the things that we've been saying all along are still true, you know, with an online learning platform, like it doesn't matter if you don't get to all of the content. We've said that before, you know, like you, it's better to cover it well than to cover all of it. And, you know, things like using the practices, it's like, none of this is new stuff. It's just making sure that you're going back and doing those things that we've talked about over and over again. Yes. And, and really like, Science is not, and it shouldn't be, like just checking off standards in your curriculum. It should be developing those science skills, developing those big picture understandings, and you're doing that by, just, by investigating phenomena. That's relevant to your students because that's how you get them engaged. So if you're investigating phenomena and you're building those skills and all of that, like, like you said, you don't have to check off every single piece of content because when they need that content, they have the skills to go in and understand it. They have the skills to figure out the answers to that next phenomena, whatever it is, you know, down the line. So I think it's just shifting like what we think science education is about. And that's what the EGSS have, have really done and the writers of the framework and everything, not about shoving our students full of facts. It's about big picture understanding, scientific worldview, so that when you encounter new situations, you encounter new information, you have the skills to process it and to integrate it and to understand it, you know, moving forward. Yeah. And we'll, I'll link in the show notes to like a couple of good episodes, like using a discovery based approach and all of that kind of stuff to kind of go back to the basics and get a little refresher. Cause I have been um, building the website over the summer and re-listening to the episodes and I'm like, Oh yeah, I remember, you know, like this strategy and this strategy. So I'll make sure to link to those so that you can go back and kind of, you know, see a couple of strategies that you could use that would work really well online. Perfect. Yes. Go back and listen to our old episodes. <laughs> yeah. Let's talk some more. <laughs> uh, so was there anything else really? I mean, I feel like those are the big things. I think the most important thing, like you mentioned, best practices are still best practices. Even if we're online, a lot of times it's tweaking how you carry it out, but your best practices are still your best practices. And you're probably going to hear us say this a bunch of times anytime we talk about online learning. Like, this is the best practice in your regular classroom, you should still do it in your online classroom. So yeah, and we're going to go into, um, we got a ton of listener questions, we're going to go into more specifics in later episodes. So keep listening, because we're going to take those questions and do a deep dive on those questions that we got from listeners. Yes. All right, I'm so excited for that. And thank you so much for listening to our first episode back. This is the launch of season three. And um, you can always connect with us. Erin's at SadlerScience.com. I'm at iSlorScience.com. There's our Facebook groups. We'll link to all of that in the show notes. Um, I don't know, Erin, do you have anything else before we wrap up? Um, 
If you go to our website, teachingsciencein3d.com, we have a new feature where you can submit a question and you can submit an audio version of your question so that we can actually put you on our podcast with us and um, hear your voice because I think that that would be really cool to include that. Oh, yeah. Then you don't have to just listen to us all the time. <laughs> awesome. All right. Well, have a great, wonderful Monday, guys. We will talk to you later. Bye. Making sure that your lessons are three-dimensional isn't always easy. While you don't need to include all three dimensions every single day, you do want to make sure that each dimension is regularly addressed. I developed a really simple 3D planner to help keep me focused. It helps me track which pieces I'm using in my daily lesson plans. It only takes me five minutes to fill out, and it helps me notice patterns in my own lesson planning. For example, when I first started using it, I noticed I wasn't including the cross-cutting concepts as often as I thought I was. Just by recognizing this, I was able to focus on this one piece and improve my lessons. Right now, you can grab the same template that I use for my own planning for free. Go to sadlerscience.com slash 3dplanner to grab yours. That's sadlerscience.com slash 3dplanner.